0: Whether you're at a
1: game table, in your comfiest chair reading a book, or listening at home, there's nothing like a great adventure story. But they don't happen by accident. Welcome to the Joy of GMing, a special interview series on the craft of great gaming. There's just something magic about sitting down to a good table with great friends, isn't there? If you're a lifelong gamer or a newbie rolling up your first character sheet, if you're a DM or a GM, or you just can't get enough tabletop talk in your day, this is the show for you. Each episode, we'll bring you amazing guest speakers to talk about writing games and running them, building fantastic worlds and compelling story arcs, and oh-so-useful tricks of the trade. Hear some amazing conversations, get inspired for your next game, and join us for an hour or so of lively conversation. I'm Casey Jones, writer and voice actor. Over the last dozen years, I've written and produced screenplays, children's animation for TV and film, graphic novels, stage plays, murder mysteries, and audio adventures. I've also been writing and running tabletop games for over 10 years. Join me as we dive deep into creativity with fellow experts and making stuff up. This sister series to Anywhere But Now, our Doctor Who actual play podcast, will be released between mods or episodes with our ongoing serialized show. We'll cover some making of and behind the scenes tidbits of our latest mod as well, so do stick around. And now, introducing our special guest today, Jacob Cordis.
0: Hi there, happy to be here.
1: Hi, Jacob. Jacob Cordis has been professionally doing theater work since they were 18 when they staged their first play. They've continued to do so, filming their first feature length film a few years later, having performed comedy on and off for over a decade, and even having designed professionally for Illusion's escape rooms. They are also currently one of the top-reviewed, top-recommended, and top-played GMs on Start Playing, a semi-regular guest and writer for Cheesy Gordita Bunch, and will be appearing on a mini-series for the fantastic show, Moon Harbor Heroes. Hello, Jacob. Yeah, hello. I'm, I'm so uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here. We're happy to have you. So I would love to just dive in and talk about your background in theater and improv, because I have those same roots under the soil. And I would love to hear you tell us about Zero Prep and how that shapes your approach to building a game
0: oh yeah uh yeah i'm a hundred percent zero prep gm um as much as possible i've been doing theater stuff which i'm sure helps inform makes this possible since i was seven or eight and then just kept going from there mm-hmm. i remember as a kid having to choose between uh, either doing sports or doing theater and i without pause did theater
1: <laughs> that's great
0: uh it was some very it was there was like a, a traveling children's theater that would you know in a week we would stage a musical together uh mm-hmm. so we did like jungle books And from that point on i've never really looked back i did a couple of classes when i was a teenager with like second city oh, Um uh, nice. theater like the whole yeah did the whole time when i was 18 instead of going to college i got my first play stage as part of a festival in new york yeah, yeah, I was I was very I was very lucky. That being said, I was way too young and way too depressed to try to do that. That was a horrible mistake.
1: Yeah.
0: An 18-year-old should not be responsible for all of that.
1: <laughs> I don't think a 26-year-old should be responsible for all of
0: that. And that's when no. I tried to go to theater in New York. No, <laughs> I have, you know how when it gets late at night and you'll have that anxiety thought come tumbling through your head? One of my frequent anxiety thoughts is the fact that I put in the description of the play I staged at 18, I referred to myself as a wonderkin. And that will haunt me till I die. That is a choice that I will never be able to walk back.
1: But as long as you learn from it and don't actually refer to yourself in such flattering terms and let other people refer to you in those flattering terms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you want to call me a
0: Wonderkind, I'm not stopping you. In fact, I would love it, but I'm noah. <laughs> And I've just I've just kept doing it since, then. I've been doing. I did stand up for I think around five, six years, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. I was terrible at it, but I still did it for far too long. And I was doing stand up about the same time. I didn't start DMing until I was, or even playing any tabletop games. So I was eighteen or so That's when I started mm-hmm. doing this kind of thing. And within you know two months of me trying the games, I was like, oh, I'm gonna run this. And I actually the first game I ever ran was a Doctor Who game that I overwrote to hell. Oh no. And oh, no. an hour into the game, my players went, hey, 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 this isn't fun. We're happy to try again sometime, but we are not gonna finish. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of set, I was just, the. it became a malicious, I'm going to defeat you, I will, be, I will be amazing at this, you can't stop me. It was more spiteful, like, you say I'm bad at this? How dare you? <laughs> and to be fair, I was horrible. I feel like a lot of modern GMs, people who have just started in the last couple of years, Uh don't remember that until like five years ago, there wasn't a community where you could just listen to a bunch of people play games to learn how to play a game. You learned how to play by playing with your friends, failing and trying again, trying again, trying again. Mm
1: Mm-hmm trial and error is a fantastic teacher especially for gming oh yeah i have committed my own sins as a gm even with the game i love the most which is doctor who same after one session in the long ago at least i can say that much but one early session after the game was over one of the players said i think i'm done i i don't need to attend more
0: exposition (laughs) yeah that was the exact issue i made with doctor who was i made it like too much of them sitting in vehicles and hearing about things Mm. which is what the show is but also isn't fun to play no yeah it was a it was rough but i dedicated literal years and slowly became the default gm for the group Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just kind of from that point on it was unless somebody really wanted to run something i was the person that everybody went to to run their game well that had to feel good yeah yeah it was a nice it was a nice retribution it was very nice being vindicated uh eventually i eventually i went back and actually ran the doctor who game with them Uh uh-huh and it was up to that point probably the best thing i'd ever run oh nice and one of the players who had played in the first session played in that and there was a part of me that had to restrain him restrain myself just being like haha i told you i could do it don't take this from me (laughs) <laughs> you you had fun with the with the secret of the sentient grass <laughs>
1: it was me the entire time you foolish fools
0: yes i planned this <laughs> that's great but yeah i became a no prep gm i actually know the exact session that turned me into a no prep gm or set me down this road i was running a game called moons and masterminds 2e which is a game that i deeply deeply love mm-hmm Very, very crunchy. Takes a lot of time to, like, set up. Mm. Great superhero game. If you want, like, that made by the guy who, I believe went on to make Icons, which is the slightly is a much more accessible version nice he i was playing Immune's mean, of masterminds 2e and i had planned this like massive venture session where there was going to be a train with a card on it there were super villains that they had to fight and then the train would uh, actually go underwater and then it would it took place in the dc universe because i'm just every kind of nerd you can be stacked on of each other naturally so it would go underwater and there would be eels and sharks that had bane's venom put inside of them and then it you know it'd be this huge big thing, thing. And then the player, one of the players, figured out a way to just sneak up to the box. I was like, oh, you're going to be trapped. You you think I'm not ready for this? They walked up to it and then effectively put it into a pocket dimension. And that was what I had just spent 12 hours prepping. My jaw is silently on the floor. I have never been angrier at a bunch of people as that happened, and I was just like, oh, okay, the devil shows up. I guess that's what's happening. Because I just, I had to place my anger somewhere, and I needed an NPC to do it. But it was one of those things where I was like, well, I can't, I can't let this happen again. Like, I can't prep all this stuff, and then immediately have 90% of it thrown out the window, and have these, like, cool diagrams that, like, I could try to redo or, you know, rework a little bit to Mm. make it sort of work, but the choices they made in that session are way more exciting than the choices I had any of the choice I conceived of. Mm-hmm. And I slowly as a GM, especially stopped viewing what I was doing as like telling, I, I a lot of times I think of it as like me building stories or crafting like a narrative or something like that. It is mm-hmm. me um, crafting problems for players to solve. Mm. It is me putting together a a problem, a situation in which drama will unfold from it. I am only ever building the inciting incident and then responding to whatever choices they make.
1: How do you approach that with zero
0: prep, though? So what I'll normally do is, like, the extent of my prep at this point, I will write a thing for the page on start playing that's just like this is the pitch of the game and then i will forget what that pitch is and reread it at the start of the first session oh fun and then it's like oh cool that was a good idea jacob of three weeks ago had a really solid idea there uh yeah i can work (laughs) with that and i have games that multiple games that i have done like that that are that are into almost the two-year mark at this point maybe past the two-year mark and it's been effectively zero prep continuous storytelling the whole way through oh wow um occasionally i'll jump in if it's like a really big dramatic moment and i know the players are looking for a certain beat to happen or something like that or i'll Mm -hmm. like pre-prep like oh i know this person's gonna be dealing has this relationship with this god so they need to have this you know they need like a calamitous form to take over because in case they fail these saves it'll make it really fun you know (laughs) but even then half the time i will make the stat blocks up on the fly wow the there's a couple of websites i use that let me do it pretty quickly and i'm pretty efficient at using them Wonderful. Yeah, I I try to do everything as as much as I can. I want it to as much be in the moment as possible.
1: No, absolutely. And I'm picking up on that, that spontaneity, which is just bread and butter of improv. Can you talk us through like a session one, not a session zero, but like a game that you have completely forgotten about and mm-hmm. you've got players that show up and say, we want to do this cool thing. And you've done no prep. What yeah. does, how does session one go in that environment?
0: Yeah. So normally I, I do have to hit a little bit on the session zero, if only because it informs the start of a session. Cause I'm like, my session zeros are generally like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. um, two hours and a half hours. And the last little bit of my session zeros are me going through is like, how do you all know each other? What brings you to where you are? Mm-hmm. Um, what what is like the group motivators, right? Um, and then generally that informs like what the session zero will be. Um if, especially if it's like D and D, especially, I'm normally doing, you know, it's gonna it's probably gonna be a like introductory to the world, introductory combat kind of session. Is almost sure. always what a session one is. Just I feel like that's what it is regardless if you're prepping or not. It's just mm-hmm. you need to give the team a chance to work together to see how they how all their abilities pan out. Um, and trying to find a fun, dynamic way to do that. I I did it recently. I just started a astral to give a good example. I just started a um, oh god, it's Spelljammers. I just started a Spelljammers campaign. Nice. Uh, and the it's the players like at the very I I all the players had specified they wanted a chaotic game. They wanted it to be very piratey. They wanted it to be very you know things are things are going wild. So you know it starts with them being chased and hunted and hiding in an asteroid belt immediately. Like we start in this meteor res, very dramatic moment. Oh, Uh, that's great. And then, yeah. And then them finding this figure and trying to like figure out what, who is this person floating in the astral sea while a, you know, a little combat breaks out. So they get a chance to try out their abilities, figure out how they actually fit together as a team. And then generally what I really like and what I always try to do is figure out a early moral question to frame it around and then oh, let cool. the player kind of do that so in this case it's they find this dude who is a gif who's like a who's a gif who's a, who's a god king or whatever uh mm. i don't know i said whatever after a god king it's a very impressive title if any if there were any god kings listening i'm very impressed
1: uh, <laughs> but
0: but there are but they but they find that basically immediately they find, oh, there's all of these different factions that are after this person. They have this deal going on, they have this going on, they have this, this, and this going on. So the question now becomes, well, what do you do? You have these infinite, op- you have you know, you have seven, eight options, and you know that all those are going to branch off. Mm-hmm. What, is your, what is your personal morality as a character and what is your personal morality as a player that you can actually go forward with this?
1: and once your characters have started making real choices and started mm-hmm. responding to the options that they have do the the plot threads the little offers in those directions they didn't take do you do you let those go and focus on what uh, where the story is going next do you do you start a little
0: file somewhere
1: of of dangling plot threads how do you, how do you move forward
0: it depends on how big they are cuz a lot of the mm-hmm. time there might be some that'll be, you know, kind of small to a city, excuse me, or something like that, that don't need to be incorporated back. Um, mm-hmm. There are some that are, you know, the, uh, your main quest giver offered you three paths. Well, like, though, if your main quest giver offered you three paths, you know, um, and keep in mind, all of those were made up in the moment. Uh, then that means that all three of those paths need to be valuable and need to have, re- if you're not doing it, someone else is interested in this. Mm -hmm. Or even if you are doing it, someone else is interested in this. There should be that sense of investment. There should be this world beyond yourself. Yeah. So a lot of time you'll hear, you might hear, oh, well, there's, you know, this government has now began exploring this area. It's like, oh, well, we nearly went there. Why are they there? That doesn't make any sense. And now Mm -hmm. there's like a new mystery and a new plot. Um, And if they, after it, if I do that, maybe three times with a plot and nobody really circles back to it then a lot of times i mm-hmm. will let it drop until a character brings it back up or they're mm-hmm. incredibly in an environment where they would have to hear about it
1: that makes sense that makes a lot of sense so with your background in improv and theater how has that shaped the world building that you choose to do once those decisions from your players
0: start coming together how, yeah. do you, how do you weave a theme around something like that? I believe in maximizing player agency as much as possible. And I feel like the best way to do that is making sure that the theme is a moral question that is resolved through player agency. Wow. There will normally be there's, you know. When people talk about tabletops and talk about the tabletop themes, there's like there's two categories talking about like environmental themes, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, this is a wacky game in a desert or this is you know a steampunk post-apocalypse game like stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. stuff that i think of as like environmental thematics where it's you can do any story in that setting you've chosen to do it, it just gives you kind of a general sense of tone more than anything else sure and then the thematic question that is what they're actually resolving through their choices and through the world uh, a really good example is i ran a call of cthulhu one shot recently and the you know the setting is Berlin, uh, 1920s. But the moral question of what they're trying to resolve is who has the right to take away a person's agency to consume a person. Oof. So then the whole game turns into them trying to deal with that, is trying to resolve that. So any monster they face is that is is a reflection of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it very easy for me to like to respond to. Because a, it's it's this abstract concept, so you can improvise anything onto it and still kind of make it work, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're focused on that grand idea. And it makes it really easy for the players to the choices to matter because it's not so specific, it's not it's not so grounded that they have to respond a certain way. Yeah, it bil- lets them build the tone, the shape of their adventure, while still letting me stay focused on that. And generally, players respond, you know, really well to it. I haven't had. I've never. I've had a couple players when I first started doing it. Mm-hmm. My game's a little silly, which is oftentimes a problem when your background is improv and comedy. Your games are gonna be a little silly. <laughs> who would have guessed? Uh, the hell you I mean, say? Yeah, <laughs> my favorite. My favorite Doctor Who villain is Candyman. Well, who who would have given <laughs> it away that I'm a silly person? I ran a Doctor Who campaign on Start Playing for a while, and there was. One of the sessions was just they accidentally arrived at a candy factory that was really where Candyman was made, and it was just a front for candy-based assassins. Oh, nice. And it was just them running through the TARDIS, trying not to get killed by the Candyman. So much fun.
1: That does sound like fun. I mean, if that is exactly what it says on the tin, then Mm -hmm. more power to you. I loved what you were saying about how the players can focus on informing the tone of a given story while you focus on keeping it centered on the theme and the moral question that they're trying to answer with their actions. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a pretty decent example of that with our latest Waterworld, Caspian 6, that uh, Team Tardis has just started visiting in Part 1 of Troubled Waters because the whole thing is wrapped around this question of who has the right to put down roots here? Who has the right to spread and populate and using the backdrop of Doctor Who. And you mentioned environments and how the players are working with their environment and having an impact on it with their agency. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I love about Doctor Who is that there are forces at play, like time and space and causality, that are not immediately visual. It's like controlling the wind and watching that a tree half a mile away gets knocked over. Yeah, and the ability to set them up into these situations where they are having an impact and they are starting to knock dominoes over and racing back and forth across the, the open field of play to experiment and poke things and ask different characters questions and get mm-hmm. attached to certain characters and away from certain characters. I think that absolutely does a job of helping Certainly influence where the tone winds up.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I, I I really enjoyed the episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. Any any big water setting, I'm gonna be a big fan of. So you kind of were were playing, you were playing to your audience. But I I really, <laughs> truly, it's one of my favorite favorite kind of settings. I really really enjoyed it. I'm I'm delighted. Yeah. That's exactly what I kind of what I what I think about when I try to do do that kind of stuff is to let the players build it themselves you were a lot of my job is less me coming in with like blueprints and more me coming in with tools and just providing Mm -hmm. you the tools one of my favorite moments i've ever had running any tabletop game uh was i ran a session of a honey heist a little while ago nice wonder i love the game grant hewitt's grant hewitt um everybody should buy all of his games they're amazing Truly, just like the best games, but I was running it, and there was like it was like a group of friends who had, who all wanted to play this game. And clear, there was one person who was very clearly like, you know, they're they're a friend, but they they weren't that interested. Like one of them, like you know, this isn't their thing, but the everybody else is doing it. You know, mm-hmm. so they'll they'll tag along, and because there's not the sense of, you know, you have to do this or you have to do this or you know, there there was a B C kind of thing. Within the first hour or so of play, she went from like her character actively choosing the passive choice to all of a sudden being the person in the van telling everybody what to do where and it was through like that oh every time she made a choice it impacted like there was there was no like oh sure like you can see this or whatever it was immediately like no that choice had a ripple effect on the world and on the tone Mm -hmm. every time you threw out an idea and somebody did it you could see it tangibly impacting Mm -hmm. it it was and that stuff like that is really what i love the most with DMing. Is watching people uh, discover that they can be rewarded for being creative and that they can build a collaborative world together without feeling like nervous or, or ashamed or immature or something like that.
1: Well, sure. And I think something that definitely helps remove that anxiety from a table is not being overly precious with Uh your toys when you lay them out. I admit in the past as a less experienced GM, if stories did not unfold in one of a couple of ways, I felt like I had done something wrong. Oh, me too. And since then, I have put my focus more on my job is to make sure that everybody has fun. My job is Mm -hmm. that to make sure we tell a story that makes sense, because I do like stories to have a beginning, middle and end, regardless of whether it's the, the ending I was expecting is up to the creative gods and the dice rolls to determine. But yeah, no, I was what you said was so great because I was about to ask you, how do you get shy players out of their shells? And you just gave me the perfect example by rewarding them
0: with consequences
1: for their actions.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's what everybody really wants when they're playing these games. I don't, people often won't say it like that, but really, like, every player wants to feel like their their actions have consequences, good or bad. Uh, obviously, they want to have good consequences as well, but there is something to be said for, like, oh, you did something dumb and you get kind of punished for it. Players aren't happy when you summon, if, you know, your character summons a devil, NPCs aren't going to be happy and you summoned a devil. Uh, and being able to, make it so all of that like resonates and that you can feel that tangible effect on the world. That was always the biggest thing I struggled with was when I was prepping the most was I never felt like the world was big enough. Mm. As I always felt like I didn't prep enough. So if they asked, you know, this place out here, I don't know, you know, you know, it's the classic joke of just like, oh, have you planned for me to go west? And then if you don't have the infinite binder ready to go, you're kind of screwed. And the ultimate workaround, I realized, was stop worrying about the binders, start start worrying about the theme. And as mm. long as you can do that, then when they ask what's west, all you have to go is like, oh, yeah, there's a there's a mining town out there, because I already established those mountains, so it should make sense to be a mining town in the mountains. And then sure. how to, what element of the mining town relates to the theme of the game? So then it's, oh, cool, so the game's, you know... It's D&D, so it probably has something to do with colonialism. So cool. So then there's a mining resource issue that's going on there that the city's been a little sequestered off and nobody's really heard from too many people. It's like, oh, it turns out they've been in a fight, you know, and very organically, you've just built a narrative for a place that maybe will pay off, maybe won't, who knows? Maybe. You might get lucky. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And just, just being able to throw it like a little bit like that makes it, I felt I, I feel way in a weird way, having far less, I feel way more secure than I ever yeah. did prepping.
1: When you're not over prepping, when you're not trying to keep your eyes on a dozen different plates spinning at once, um, I feel like that frees up a lot of RAM to yeah. concentrate on being in the moment and focusing
0: on just making sure that people are going in the right
1: order based yeah. on their initiative.
0: <laughs> yeah, just letting people play the game properly is a lot easier when you're not worried, when you don't need twelve tabs open so you can figure out exactly what part of Icewind Dale they're
1: in now. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not. I know people who've been playing far longer than I have, but at least like I've, I've been playing long enough where I remember a time pre-shows, pre-pre really people talking about it, unless you were gonna be like the one sad person at work who had like three massive books at your desk waiting for your lunch break so you could prep some for your Mm -hmm. game or read over a rule book or try to figure out how like epic weapons worked in 3.5. But there's, uh, but I very much made it a thing where it was, I found out about like, oh, you can do this professionally of like, okay, I need to give myself a series of tests because if I'm going to do this, i need to make sure that i'm good enough because it's easy theoretically you could say you know you can run an adventure well and a pre-made adventure and do it pretty well without much issue but if you're gonna say oh i'm not gonna like or i'm gonna run those but i'm also gonna do my own stuff my own stuff's gonna be wild and weird and i you know i need to make sure that i can pay it all off how do i do that um so i went through and set myself like a series of improv challenges for myself like the worst game show, and made it so I had to do... I had to be able to fully improvise a mystery. Um, I had to fully improvise a dungeon. Wow. Um, I'm sure what the other two were. There was four in total, but I had to be able to do it in a way... Do it and not have the players know that I was improvising. Wow. All right. (laughs) um and now like if i can i never i never prep mysteries i love never prepping mysteries it's so much fun it's now my favorite thing to dm is what i will prep with a mystery is like uh you know just a single like sentence about this is what happened and this is the villain this is theoretically uh why someone would do this and even Uh that gets normally thrown out the window pretty fast as it'll wow. be, what are the players investigating? What are they? What have they looked at? What catches their eye? That way, mm-hmm. they always make the right choice. Or they make the wrong choice, but in the right way. It still drives the story forward. They're still having a good time. Yeah, I always hated that thing with some with some modules where you could make a choice and spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes doing something, and then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, that didn't matter. And it's mm-hmm. like, why did I do that then? Why is there an option that's a waste of my time? Whereas, like, if you do something and you do, like, a silly, weird thing, and that silly, weird thing has a person respond to you in a weird way, and you're like, oh, well, that's a weird thing for this person to do. Why are they doing that? And now this really nonsense choice you made suddenly grinds you back into the adventure, grounds you back in, and you're you're down this rabbit hole because you made some choice and you're still being tangibly rewarded for it in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And it just encourages them to keep going and keep trying to do stuff.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't stand up for the prep side, at least a little bit, on the question of why is there a dead end in the game if it doesn't contribute anything? Or is it allowed to turn into a dead end? Mm -hmm. And I feel like with world building with Doctor Who you're not in the middle of a campaign that is geographically crossing acres and continents over the course of dozens of stories. You're dropped into a location that you get to leave again at the end of maybe three, six hours of gameplay broken up over one to two games. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a lot easier to make sure that there are no dead ends. Like if they go investigating something, there will be some kind of clue there to either give them an idea or point them in the direction of the baddie or what they're planning or you know add some flavor and give them something to test out their skills and give them Mm -hmm. some more confidence just like you're talking about regardless of whether or not it turns into a location where there's some big
0: climax later you know yeah i i mean i don't think innately there's anything i mean i don't think a there's really anything innately wrong with some of with prep, to be clear, this is just a personal prep. Oh no, 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 I, no, no, no! I, don't, I wanted it, to come across like i no, 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 no. We are not talking preppers. about black
1: and white absolutes. No, 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 yeah, no. no yeah, one yeah, is yeah. talking about only A or B. We're talking about the spectrum of yeah. of levels of prep work. No, I I have a I have a huge background in improv. Like yes and are my sword and shield, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> way yeah, mentioned yeah. games. And improv is so great, especially that that impulse to jump on of yes and. And build yeah. on what your players are giving you, whether they are standing in line waiting to see a science lab and decide, oh, I want to get in now. Can I get in now? I'm like, yes, you can. And here's how. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and even the things they turn down. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely even the things they say no to is like okay good to know that might bite you on the ass later but that's gonna be based on your choices
0: (laughs) yeah I love the uh, I was running a session today and the players uh, the players were fighting space clowns because I mean that tracks with everything you've heard about me so far and they and all the players reacted viciously to the idea of clowns because everybody always does nobody seems to like clowns the hell you say I'll defend a clown I love clowns so cold phobia is real man they, but they all hated clowns. They were getting vicious about it and vicious about it. But as soon as the clowns died, they're like, well, those clowns have some pretty cool guns. So immediately it's like, okay, this has to turn you into a clown. There's no other choice here. If you're going to spend an hour and a half insulting the main enemy you've been fighting, mm-hmm. it's going to turn you into the enemy. Like, that's the only logical, logical way to escalate here. And I've never heard players get more angry at me as they were just... <laughs> As I'm like, yeah, here, I just sent you the stat block for it. And you just get a message of just like, you just hear, I hear out loud grown adults going, no, stop it. I'm like, no, it says what it says. What did you do 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 do? do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a
0: lot of fun. I, 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 I yeah, they, they all enjoyed it. To be to be clear, I'm not advocating punishment Player. That's just a really fun, no, 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 I love no, no, stuff no, like that. No, 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 well, no. I always say that. I don't think it's right. That's not, I'm not as worried about it. I'm always worried with like newer GMs hearing stories like that. Because you can always like misconstrue like a comfortable joke amongst players that you understand and like active antagonism, you know? Yeah. And that's yeah. a hard line to learn how to walk and how to properly. Um, I feel like that's the that's the hardest thing to learn is how to do negative consequences in a way that is still fun that doesn't feel like player versus DM. Yeah.
1: Because we never want them to feel like they're being punished or that they have done something to anger the GM personally. And on that subject, like, I've seen characters get angry and frustrated and whatnot, and after the game, or even in the middle of it, the player will reassure me that they're having a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah. Like, having that visceral reaction is part of what they're enjoying. They're getting some catharsis Mm -hmm. from that. But, yeah, running a team, especially... With a problem-solving game like Doctor Who, where creativity and resourcefulness are the tools instead of the axe and the sword most of the time. Oh yeah. And now, a word from today's sponsor. When they grasp at straws or run in the complete opposite direction of where the narrative wind was blowing, I just, like, pick up my things and go, okay, where are you taking us next?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that with, Col- with, with I love that, because that's why I love, like, Call of That's why I love Doctor Who, which is prob like, Doctor Who is my, depending on um, how bad of a day I've had is my favorite mm. game. Like, mm. if I'm in a positive, if I'm having a good day, I'm going to, without a pause, be Doctor Who is the best game. And then, then as my mood gets darker and darker, other games start pivoting up towards Attack no, and slash. Um, like we we need to feel we need to feel you need to feel punished for your choices. Uh, that's why we're <laughs> going to play Call of Cthulhu. Um, I mean, it's hard to play Call of Cthulhu without
1: eventually feeling punished. I mean, there aren't many ways to actually win the game. More along the lines of just delaying the inevitable.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I ran a campaign for it uh, a while back that made it to the end, and the ending was all the players. Jointly deciding to end the world. That nice. was the ending of the game. And it's a bleak as hell ending. It's but it for a game that lasted for maybe six months, seven months, something like that, mm-hmm. which is excuse me, an incredible amount of time for a call of Cthulhu came to came to last. Seriously? It was a really satisfying conclusion to all that, where at the that if you were to do that for most other systems, you're gonna go walk away just like why why did I just spend seven months doing ending the world? Like why why couldn't I like no this is this is all you're going to get yeah i really i really like i like games that center uh more resourcefulness than Mm -hmm. pure pure anything else which is why so much of what i think about is like thematic oriented over you know action oriented something like that absolutely And
1: for the record, let me please state, I am not trying to say that one type of game is better than another. There are a million different kind of players with a million different kind of tastes and favorites they're going to go to. The last thing I want to do here is yuck anyone's yum.
0: Yeah, exactly. If it means anything for your listeners, I'm a big crunch person, which everybody's (laughs) always surprised by when I say that I I, I like storytelling so much. I'm like, no, I love... I came in on, on, like, 90s 2000 crunch, it was 3.5. Kingdoms of Mastermind's 2e is maybe the single crunchiest thing I've ever played. Mm. Um, uh, I love it, but it is... it is. You know you know what's really fun is trying to get a bunch of people to play a game when they have to spend three and a half hours making the character sheet. Mm. Um, uh, that's That was always such a fun selling point.
1: Come for the paperwork, stay for the math. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I hope you're. I hope you're ready to keep a calculator by your hand, and then when you're done, to redo all of your math, because the last hour is just you checking your numbers. Um, <laughs> it's great. I love that game so much. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah. There's there's no like right or wrong way to play as long as you're having fun with whatever it is you're playing in the group of you're playing with. Or having fun.
1: Exactly. This this leads me to my questions though. Like, so I have to ask. What do you think sets you apart as one of the most played, most reviewed, top recommended mm-hmm. GMs on Start Playing? For those aspirational yeah. GMs out there, what would you say
0: are your top tips? What would you say is the
1: mindset you come into it with?
0: The biggest things, I, always, I, I at least when I think about GMing, is making it so your players' choices are always centered. You shouldn't Even if they don't realize they're making a choice, or even if they don't quite understand the choices they have available to them, making sure that sense of choice is always the thing that keeps having, I think, is the reason why people have... I have games that have been going since I started on the site, effectively, that within, like, the first three months of me starting are still going today. Which is truly impressive. And I've literally taken time off. Yeah, and I've taken, like, time off in that... Right, spent like three months working on a. I spent I when I'm not doing this, I work on political campaigns. So mm-hmm. I literally taken off time for you know a couple months at a time to you know work on a, a campaign out in New York, work on a campaign in Austin, and then uh, came back and seventy to eighty percent of my players just came back, left the games they went to to play on the breaks and came back to play with me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's that centering of their ability to impact the world. Um, One of the, a lot of the times, I feel like there's a, even when you're doing like a module, and I've run a bunch of modules, I, I, I've, you kind of, I feel like you sort of have to, to a certain degree, on start playing, especially when you're first starting. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, even when you're doing that, there should never be the blink in regards to like, oh, your choices fits outside of the range or anything like that. Um, You, it should always be, they are even if their choice isn't in the book, even if their choice isn't what you wanted them to do, their choice is always right because they made a choice. Which means you get to make a choice in response to it that helps build towards the final place. And that, and it's why like, if you think about it thematically, it makes it way easier than if you think about it purely narratively, because it's so easy to get lost down the rabbit hole of causality in a narrative that eventually you tear the thing apart. Um, If you think- That
1: is absolutely Mm -hmm. true. That is absolutely true. Um, We have a player on our current table for Team TARDIS played by the wonderful Pandora Beatrix, Mm -hmm. playing Calamity Hap, who just materialized. She deliberately makes the random choices. She is such a colorful character that actually centers around the random and whatever is breezing through in front of her in the given moment and that makes her choices so spontaneous and random but it also forces me as the gm to loosen up my lockstep and you know tiptoe after her and say okay yes what <laughs> are you doing next how are you getting in there no please tell us more
0: <laughs> yeah what are, what are my favorite things to do with uh with groups um uh, and it's it's i found it to be like one of the most bonding things you can do with a group is whenever they pitch they'll you know be, groups will spend 20 minutes planning something out and they'll mm. go through and they'll they'll talk their way through something and you for as an outside observer kind of breaking it down trying to figure out how to you know how to, how to make this work will go oh that might be one of the deeply dumbest series of ideas i've heard linked together but they have just talked it through for 30 minutes so it sounds really fancy But if they do it, they're all gonna die, you know, (laughs) like, like, and they there, I mean, we've all had moments like that as GMs. You will, you will hear players pitch somehow talk themselves into like, yeah, let's just like kumbaya our way through this dragon. Yeah. Let's push all the buttons. Let's see what happens. Um, and so there's a really, I, I've honestly only kind of, it works wonderfully in one shots, um. Is just going okay, so I just want to repeat what you all what if make sure I'm following what you're saying, and then Mm. pitch the thing they just said,
1: but just Mm. pitch it
0: in like a stripped down fashion. And if it's a, the players might all go, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, You know, they might all immediately sign off on it and perfect. If not, they might, they might all laugh. I had players pitch a really horrible, horrible idea in a Call of Cthulhu session, and then when I (laughs) pitched it back to them, they all laughed and went, well, we can't think of anything else, so uh, let's do this. Uh, at which point they tried to start get a bunch of parents to uh, fight evil Santa Claus in a in a mini mall. How did the parents do? They were able to stop Ithaca Santa from making his way to the throne, um, i.e. the the mall's uh, Santa Santa photograph uh, section. I believe that it does
1: sound like a choice players would make, especially if parrots were the colorful birds that say,
0: well, "I want a cracker," and not parents, <laughs> as in the owners of small children. Yeah, that makes that that would that would track a little bit more somehow. I don't know exactly why, I mean, like that makes more sense. It does. But
1: I mean, if there were an animal, if there were a pet shop in the in the mall, there you go.
0: Ooh, yeah. I should have I should have given them that. <laughs> But yeah, I I really... I I think the most important thing is centering player agency above all else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that's the same thing. And I think a lot of people make this mistake, too. Kind of like the inverse of it. Of making the character player... Making it PC, the main character. Because it's, it's none of... You are not the main character, and players are not main characters. It's an ensemble cast, Mm -hmm. and I feel like like that. And it's like that theater idea is, I think, really important when talking about games like this, Mm because you'll run into those players or GMs who try to make a certain player, certain player, or just treat them like they're all the big name, super big star that is exactly, you know, what everything is built around. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not. They're an ensemble experiencing the world together, and that's a very... They all need to have their own narratives and arcs, and they all need to grow, but that is not the same thing as saying they are all the Ash Ketchums, they are yeah. all the Hamlets, they are all the whatever. It's like, no, this is just a bunch of Rosencrantz and Guildensterns.
1: Exactly. This is one of the things that I love about running Doctor Who is getting away from the doctor who, depending on the player, might have a real take charge attitude and leave everything to me and you know, jump into fixing things and leave their companions with that's little to do. And I think one of the benefits of saying, well, consider playing someone other than the doctor, consider playing a Time Lord that is new, that has not done all of this dozens upon dozens of times and is not already sure of every step they're going to take. Like, don't get me wrong, it is fun to play confident, brash characters that leap into action. But like you said, with an ensemble where it's, where the show is about everyone and everyone gets their time in the spotlight and everyone is contributing to those decisions, that makes for a much, in my opinion, richer storytelling experience. Because then you don't have the bystanders, then you have the companions who are swinging in at the last minute and saving the day. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, you can even point it out <laughs> down the road, like, you know, if they weren't there then, you would be dead now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and letting them have that sense of having that, you know, connection to to the world in that way makes it so they also feel more tangibly connected to it. Like mm-hmm. the hero will always prevail. Like the protagonist- Hopefully. Theoretically, yeah, I mean, I feel like there is, unless you're, you know, subverting expectations like mean, that, generally speaking, the protagonist will effectively always experience. Win the day. Yeah, experience that closure. But you, as a ensemble of people that are not promised to this, mm. means that you have to make that ending for yourself. Mm-hmm if you get closure, if you get the ending, if you get the achievement of unlocking your past or whatever, it is because you made choices to do that, not because the world was crafted to do that. No, exactly. It shouldn't feel like you're jumping through hoops to learn who the secret person is who abandoned you because you're a D&D character, and that's one of three mandatory D&D backstories. <laughs> uh, it, Curse you, my tragic past. Yeah, it's always, either, it's always either I was abandoned as a child, my family was murdered, or I really like that recently the, the you've, there's a new one that's popped up, which is uh, uh, I was really good at something, but something went wrong, and now i got to start back at the bottom. And I Oof. just really like that one. That one's really charming to me. Reclaiming your power, reclaiming your agency is a
1: great arc to follow yeah i've written about that and the characters reaching various levels of success and learned from those experiences but i do want to circle back to something you said about how if you can maximize the freedom for the player and maximize their sense of consequence then the players are feeling empowered to make dynamic choices Everything you've told me about your GMing and your approach to game building
0: in the moment backs that up. That's really beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, I really think that's the key to most tabletop gaming is that sense of freeform exploration. I, I mean, I truly believe fundamentally the player wants to experience a challenge, but they only want will tell you they want the goal. So your job is to figure out the challenge that matches the goal. And the players in the moment will give you way more notice than anything that you think you've when you're mm-hmm. going back, then you know, three days later you should have perfectly meticulously planned it out. Yeah. And just matching it in that moment and making it so when the player says something silly and you know odd, it all ties back in together and being able to find weird ways of looping it all in. Yeah. Um, it's, all, it's all building patterns into your world
1: yeah and Um, reinforcing the choices and the things that they have readily declared they want more of um, it is no accident at all that in her second adventure out Maeve almost immediately runs into a reporter of the local era who is aching out an existence and you know his snack his lunch consists of snackums bars but there is immediately someone to remind Maeve and her player Kate that oh yes the, the investigative piece of this was very, very important to me. Here is someone that I can immediately connect with, use the lingo, bring out the strengths of the character yeah. that I've already introduced. And she really shines in those moments. And I love creating more of those for her to build off of for future adventures, you know? Oh, um, yeah,
0: yeah. Doing stuff like that really lets, like, it. It gives the player a chance to shine in a way that they wouldn't might not otherwise have and really makes it feel personal to what they're doing.
1: It does. And it also pushes the story in further directions once they have achieved those level one and level two objectives that they have said they wanted. Well, mm-hmm. great. Now they want the thing beyond that. What does level three of this look like? You know? Um And I wanted to ask you, because as someone that has professionally designed escape rooms, you're talking about putting... Because people don't want just the goal. They want the challenge. They want the satisfaction of overcoming those challenges to get the goal. How do you... How does that shape your approach to building an escape room? I would love to hear what that process is like
0: for you. So escape rooms are... I I mean, I love doing it. It's great. Um, I... The p- trick to escape rooms is is it's a time thing more than anything else, where, like, the player has to—you have to time puzzles to last a certain amount of time mm. between people so that—and and to have them feel actually satisfied by the level of difficulty without it ever teetering into too long and, like, you're just, you know, buying time or something. Mm. um okay. there's there's it's a really common trick in an escape room is to be like oh you know you have to you know find stuff you know whatever whatever and it's really just there so you burn a minute and a half of your time the hour they've rented for the <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, and it's like and some, and and i don't get me wrong i messed up a bit with designing stuff because you have to it takes a while to get good at stuff like that i i had a uh text-based adventure in one of the rooms or in one, in one of the demo versions of a room and I have never seen people violently react negatively to anything I've ever done before. We spent hours programming it, and it just ground the room to a halt. And when it didn't end, when the players expected it to, you had a, everybody throwing up their arms. You we were just like, you know, screw it, skip it, it's fine. We don't, like, we're so sorry. Please forgive us. Ugh. Yeah, it happens. You, you can't get good without making mistakes like that.
1: No, the mistake is one of the most educational tools in the box. And from grade school, it is painted with this awful brush of, well, those are bad. Those are because you were stupid. Don't you dare make a mistake or heaven help you, anyone finds out you made a mistake. Yeah. And I am just here to go on the record as saying, mistake it till you make it.
0: Yeah, screw up.
1: Yeah, screw up. Make the small errors. Figure stuff out because... Success can teach us almost nothing. I mean, if things go well the first time we try them, what are we gonna learn from that? How are we going to improve the nuances of what we're trying to do or make it better if we're not getting any kind of, well, that could have
0: been better? Oh, absolutely. Well, that didn't quite work. You know. There's this thing, um, I don't know how much, if you have much experience with stand-up or not, but there's this thing that people, that I remember talking to you about with stand-up, which is like the worst possible thing that someone can do the first time they perform stand-up, is well. Mm. Uh, that is truly the worst thing that can happen. Because if you do well the first time, you go, oh, I'm funny. I got it. And then the immediate next time when you bomb, because you will bomb that time, you should have bombed the first time, but if you got lucky and you didn't, I bombed the first time. It was also the only time. <laughs> I did shockingly well my first time, and then I miserably bombed. I believe the second time. The soul-crushing realization that this is a skill that takes years to develop is mm-hmm. very different when you're when you've had like a week of walking on sunshine, immediately followed up by the hardest smackdown. Is you're like, I'm just gonna write another Type five. It's gonna be great. It'll be great. yeah people are gonna love it and then just miserable horrible smackdown
1: yeah but the thing is even those miserable horrible smackdowns even going beyond mistakes into the dreaded realm of uppercase f failure those can teach us more oh yeah than an early blush of success they can point us in directions like well maybe so-and-so wasn't your calling. Maybe it points
0: you to the thing that actually is what you're
1: much better at.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, you learn way more about what you think is funny having to try to come up with stuff when you realize that your first thoughts aren't the best ones. <laughs> like, like you you really, the amount of, once you start dedicating time to like, oh, this is how the craft of this thing works, this is how the theory of this thing works. Mm. Uh, which is oftentimes the part that people find, especially if they're not in it, or they haven't really dedicated much time to it yet, find to be the most boring, but is almost always the most important place to dedicate the Mm. The The thing that taught me the most about storytelling was a combination of watching, was a combination of like watching a bunch of stuff and then reading a lot of academic and academic theory about how storytelling functions and Mm -hmm. why narrative beats work the way they do and why responses work the way they do reading theory about like music and how why certain kinds of music and stories within music like all of this comes together to make it so when you're when you're when I'm improvising or when I'm doing all that this is all informing a sense of narrative that allows it to be more freeform and to be wilder and crazier because I have this studious to a certain degree background of like I'm going to understand why this works mechanically
1: well, at this point in your gaming career, you have a long enough background in improv mm-hmm. and trusting what you do that the muscle memory of that creativity is ready to jump into action. Um, and I think that only really comes from years and years of dedication to the thing you're trying to hone. Um, and my my hat is off to you. Oh, thank um, you. Because there are things in life that you may decide that are interesting to you or you become passionate about. And you throw yourself into those pursuits and they may work out and they may not work out, kids. The point is, you've got some time to try different things. Try on a couple different hats. Try on a couple of different approaches to hats. Because,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: like, oh my god, I, the first games I wrote were in college. This was LARPing for Vampire the Masquerade or Vampire oh, Requiem.
0: Damn, okay. The, whatever was the thing, because I was in college from 98 to to 02. That'd be, that be, that be, that'd be Requiem, right? Yeah, pretty sure it was Requiem at that point. And writing out plots
1: by the seat of my pants for like a dozen or more college students who were breaking up their time from classes and rehearsals for whatever show we were doing at the time because it was a theater college, but you know, filling those odd hours with, okay, and this is what could happen next. And this is what these characters are doing based on what they have told me they want, blah, 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 blah. I made so many mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Oh, man. And yeah, there was some of that adversarial nature at first because I felt like they were against me because some of them actually were. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you've been doing what you do, Jacob, long enough that you can sit down to a table of strangers who have signed up for one of your sessions on startplaying.games and they have their character sheets and you know what you're diving into and you can have this experience of relying on the creativity that you already know how it's going to flow, and where it can use a little nudge here and there to get them to start opening up that I think makes storytelling one of the most interesting forms of creativity we've got going these days.
0: Yeah, I think there's... uh, First off, thank you. And yeah, I think think there's something really magical about people being able to build stories together. Uh, Mm. I feel that... It feels very human as a thing just to do. It feels very sitting around a campfire, kind of just bringing that out. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and being able to do that and to have people feeling comfortable making their own additions and comfortable adding in. um, A lot of times, like, a lot of people I end up playing with are people who have never played before. I imagine it's just, like, they see, like, uh you know number of games played or number of games run or whatever or the number of you know reviews and they're just like oh i can probably trust this person's not gonna suck. Mm-hmm. within like a session or two they're generally really comfortable making choices i mean and i this is something that i think is really important to tell like for for, new, for newer gms or just people who are getting you know trying to do it in a professional space too for, mm-hmm. is uh establish as early as possible to the player that they are more than welcome to like stand up to you about a choice which mm-hmm. not not to like argue with you or something like that per se but to make it so you know I, the way i phrase it to the players most time is like i don't know you i just met you i don't know your sensibilities i don't know what you like i don't know that much about you so i might make a choice that feels good to me that may not feel good to you and this isn't like a safety thing or something like that which is the way. This is, this is a fun thing. So if you tell me, like, oh, hey, I had a, I had a player in one of my games that got aged by accident. Like, they, they had a bad role on something, and they aged 40 years, right? Oof. And the, it, it had no mechanical effect, just made them look different. And the player hated it, right? Oof. I had thrown it in there. I thought it'd be kind of a fun, wacky thing to have happen. I didn't think it'd be that big a deal. But the player really, really hated it. And I, you know, messaged them mid-game, like, hey, just wanted to check in. It seemed like you're, you know, it seems like this really bothers you. Does am I reading this properly? Like if you're RPing it, great. If not, let me know. And I can, you know, give you a way out of this. Um, and doing and it really did bother her. So going through and finding a way to like, oh, well now you can do this and this gives you all this stuff. And, you know, working together, like that person's a way better time than if I had, you know, just kind of either said it's, you know, it's my game or waited till the end. It'd been like, anybody have any notes? Anybody have anything that they liked? They didn't like it's like, no, like in that moment, like we're on discord, just send a message. Just they'll, they'll Smart. probably respond. And then you can, especially cause it's, you know, improvised. It's really easy to on the fly go, okay, cool. Well, this place has, you know, this kind of restoration. It's actually a scam that this place runs as they age you up. <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. It was like a theme park that tracks so totally in the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy way to give them, like, oh, funny world building while also making it so this player feels respected... It is respected and taken care of, and, you know, given the game they want to play. They're having their needs met in-game. Yeah, and I still... In that story, like, fundamentally, I still screwed up. Like, I didn't know what they liked, and I made a mistake. I made a judgment call, and I was wrong. But at the end of the day, the player that player is still playing and having a good time because they as a person and their needs are being respected from the get-go and I am not just trusting in my abilities that I can just wiggle my way out of a problem. It's...
1: It sounds like it's because you care that your players have a good time and that their agency is respected and they do have an impact on the, the world around them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know I had issues with it when I first ever started GMing, which is why I was so bad at it for years. <laughs> Totally just miserable for two years I apologize to everybody who played with me in that time just learning how to make it so your players can feel that their choices and their influence on the world is being respected and that their characters even if they're being you know someone's being rude to them they're being slighted they're you know they're they're being murdered in front of them even if any of that stuff's happening that they still feel like their character is being respected by the world if not the people in the world
1: sure like regardless of their social
0: status, they have weight on that plane. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's a really hard thing to, I feel like that's the hardest part to get good at. Uh, mm. And it takes the most time to get good at something like that. Cause you can learn the mechanics of story. You can learn the rules of the game you can do all that kind of stuff. A lot easier, I, I personally think, than learning how to like monitor that someone's agency is being respected and taken care of. Right.
1: I have found that like checking in from time to time in the middle of a game, in the middle of a, of a round, just even just going so far as to like recapping like so-and-so, you just discovered crow's feet on either side of your face where five yeah. minutes ago was perfectly smooth. How do you feel about that? What's going through your
0: character's mind right now? Oh, I love doing that. I love doing like, especially if a character has been quiet for a minute because they're mm-hmm. of just going like, oh, well, you know, with all of this happening, how do you, how does your character feel about that? Like mm-hmm. just throwing it out to them and then immediately if, if, if you're playing a game that has roles or you can incorporate roles in making it so whatever they say whatever choice they make immediately leads to a role immediately brings them in makes them gives them a piece of information helps forward the story so now they're centered in the narrative moving forward yes is a really great way a really great and easy way to do it that i yeah i love doing that beautiful
1: Jacob, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with us today. I feel like a lot of wonderful ground has been covered about the joy of GMing and also the freedom and the agency that you make sure that your characters get to enjoy. I can't thank you enough for
0: sharing your time with us.
1: Can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you or find you on StartPlaying?
0: Yeah, so I'm on startplaying.games slash jackweasel, which is a gamer tag that I should have changed and just got stuck with now. Here we are. Here we are. But yeah, you can find me there. I've got a bunch of new games starting up soon. Quite a few Call of Cthulhu games. Ooh. I'm also almost certainly starting up a Lex Arcana game, Ooh. which has some of my favorite mechanics you can throw into any kind of tabletop game in a setting that I've dreamt about running. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm very excited for that.
1: Awesome. Rest assured, all of your links will be found in the doobly-doo. Hell yeah, thank you so much. You're incredibly welcome. Uh, It was a real treat talking to you. And I personally cannot wait to get on, start playing, and run one of your mystery games. I would love to see (laughs) a mystery unfold with you at the helm. That sounds really cool. It's a very weird experience when players find out at the end that I improvised it. Hey, I I am here for very weird experiences. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, to our listeners, another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us. If you feel it's been well spent, please share the joy of GMing with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves. If you like what you hear, leave a review, rate the show, and follow us on Twitter at Anywhere But Now with an underscore at the end and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like me to run a game of Doctor Who for you, reach out on startplaying.games. Links to everything for me and for Jacob in the doobly-doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. Thanks so much and have a great day you.